With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. He your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill, Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Hey, guys. How's it going? This is Inside Black and Gold. But unlike the Saints GM, I am going to take my gun out. Hold on. Here we go. Okay, that's better, right? I'm going to talk to you for about an hour here. Don't need to be smacking on gum the whole time. That's neither here nor there, but let's get into it. I'm Jeff Nowak, and again, this is Inside Black and Gold. If you couldn't hear that the first time, uh, God, I had I had to get that gum. But okay, this is going to be an episode. We're going to go through Mickey Loomis's press conference from this week. It's kind of the last gasp of the 2023 season. We're, in my mind, kind of officially done with it, right? The season ends. We have the head coach press conference. You have an open locker room. You talk to the players. They clear out their lockers. You talk to the GM. That happened. It's basically over. And boy, golly, did it happen. Mickey Loomis talked to us for about 57 minutes on uh, Tuesday. It, was it Tuesday? What's today? Today's Thursday. So it was on Wednesday. <laughs> I've completely lost all track of time. That happens when the season ends because the days no longer matter to me. Anyway, talked for about 57 minutes. Went over a lot. Went over a lot. Talked about Dennis Allen. Talked about the offense coordinator. So we're going to get into a lot of that. I'm going to give you my my main takeaways from that, we're going to play some clips here from Mickey in this first segment. Second segment, I want to get dive into the offensive coordinator specifically. We're going to go over what Mickey said. I want to hear from Lance Moore. I thought he had a good take on Pete Carmichael. And we'll get into kind of where you're at with that, why it might take a while, that sort of thing. And and we'll just kind of dive into a couple candidates who have already kind of emerged 
uh, over this past week. Final segment's going to be a mailbag, as always. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of a lot of annoyance pointed at at Mickey Loomis, just in the sense of man. Sometimes I wonder. I, I, I so the the funny thing is about the the Dennis Allen take, and I'm going to play the clip here in a second. The the funny thing about it is. I don't think that his take is that far off from where I'm coming at it in the sense of, you know, you have a coach who you're probably not going to fire after year two because you're seeing these markers and you're looking at this and you're you're projecting that it's going to be better next year, right? Like, I, like I, you don't have to agree with me on that. I just think that's kind of where you're approaching it. And <laughs> Mickey comes out with a cue card and basically says the same thing, but in the most insane possible way, which is while comparing... Dennis Allen to to several Hall of Fame head coaches and and let's you know let's just let's just listen to it let's listen to what Mickey had to say when he was kind of pressed on Dennis Allen his season why he feels confident that he can continue this you know he can get this team back to the playoffs he can build on nine and eight rather than fall back um, and this is all he had to say uh, um, look here's what I think I think sometimes. You know, the easy thing to do, the lazy thing to do is look at the results of a season and say, ah, it's a coach's fault or it's a quarterback's fault. I think oftentimes you have to look beyond that. Um, well, I was I would just look, I was prepared for this question, right? <laughs> Chuck Knoll, his first three years, Hall of Fame coach, he was one and 13, five and nine, six and eight. But they recognize that this guy's a good football coach, right? Bill Belichick. Here's his first three seasons, six and ten, seven and nine, seven and nine. Tom Landry, 0 and 11, 4 and 9, 5 and 8, 4 and 10, 5 and 8. Hall of Fame coaches, all of them. Bill Walsh, first year, 2 and 14, second year, 6 and 10. So I think the easy thing to do is just look at the results and say, oh no, we've got to have a change. You got to look beyond that. You know, what are the reasons why we were 9 and 8 instead of you know, 13 and four. And look, it's it's collective. It's the players, it's the coaches, it's me, it's our personnel staff, our roster, it's variables sometimes that we don't have any control of. And so I, I my assessment is Dennis Allen is a good coach. And again, you know, with Sean Payton, we went 10 and six the first year, but then we were seven and nine, eight and eight. And I heard some of the same noise, but at the time I knew we had a good football coach. And so, I think sometimes the hard thing to do is to be patient and recognize your other shortcomings and get those fixed. And that's what we're doing. Let's just pause there for a second. There's more to it. And he was pressed on the, the, the Raiders part of it all. And <laughs> let's just start there. No, we don't need to sit here and compare Dennis Allen to, to, to Tom Landry, to Chuck Noel, to all of these, all of these guys. The funny thing is the only one he really needed to point to was Bill Belichick and say, like, you know, Bill Belichick really struggled with the Browns, right? Like, Bill Belichick got his career started with the Browns. It did not go well. He ended up getting fired. He landed with the Patriots. And obviously, you know, until this year, it all it all went pretty well. And now he's looking like he may go coach the Falcons. Uh, that's that's a whole other conversation for a whole other day. But, you know, like, that's that's all he really did, needed to say was, like, sometimes coaches get off to slow starts, but they they learn from that and they move forward. You know, and 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 I understand that part of it. Now we don't need to sit here and read the records of Tom Landry and Chuck Noll off a cue card, but I do think that there's a point to be made there. In yes, you can overreact to these first two seasons not going perfectly, but you do have to look beyond that. And I do think that 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 is a correct statement in the sense that far too often, it, all criticism ends up being fire the coach, bench the quarterback, 
you don't ever look beyond that. And I think there were a lot of issues with this team. We'll get into some of those issues, but you know, I, I do think that there's more to it than that. You know, obviously you fired Pete Carmichael, Cody Burns, Bob Bicknell, Joel Thomas moved on to the Giants. So you're gonna make changes, but I do think that there is some there's a point to be made in the idea of like consistency and whether it's it's good or bad, I understand why you're ending up there. That said, stop talking about Tom Landry and Chuck Noll and, and Bill Belichick. We don't need that. No one needs that. That's not helpful. Okay. We can, okay, let's continue. What are some of the things he's done the last two years or some of the qualities he has that's led you to believe that he can get the team back to the playoffs? Yeah, well, um, I, you know, I think the things that the head coach is responsible for, you know, game day management, um, scheduling, all the things that you guys don't see that I see or that we see internally, I feel good about. And, yeah, there, there are certainly areas that he can pr- improve in. Um but look, we've had a quarterback change. We've had, you know, some things changed in the last two, two or three years. And so we got to look at ourselves and say, okay, what, what's our expectations? Are they realistic? And if we're not meeting those expectations, what can we do differently? And I don't believe that, uh, um, that, that that's the head coach right now. I think I like, I like Dennis Allen. I think he's a good coach. You know, you've listed off Belichick and the records there their mm-hmm. first few seasons. Does his Oakland experience just not matter at all? Because it would be. Yeah, I mean, if you throw that in, it would be year five rather than the first few years. Yeah, it matters. That. You know, they, it matters. You know, where you're at matters. The experience. Look, I, I think having any head coaching experience is valuable. You learn a lot of things, you know, your first time around. Um, again, you have to look beyond just the record. You know, what was the circumstances when he was in Oakland? You know, they... Basically, we're way over the cap. They had to tear down the team. You know, the quarterback situation, there was a lot of variables there, that, and he was given a short amount of time. So you got to look at all those variables. Yeah, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's funny. I have this, um, you know, ongoing theme of having these incredibly lukewarm takes on social media, which is like, I don't think that Derek Carr is the worst quarterback on the planet. And suddenly I'm a Derek Carr stan and, you know, that the, yesterday I tweeted that I don't really care about, I, I don't want to talk about the Raiders anymore. Like, I, I understand why people want to bring up the Raiders, but it was a decade ago for another team, right? Like, that's, I want to talk about the Saints now, and I want to talk about what's going on with the Saints now. And, and I don't think it's productive to constantly be going back, well, he sucked with the Raiders. We know he sucked with the Raiders. What, what are we gaining out of that? The question is whether he learned from his time with the Raiders. And, you know, I have people saying like, okay, well, if you apply for a job, don't you think your job history is something they'll look at? I'm like, yeah, of course it is. When you get hired two years down the road at any job, no, your boss isn't going to say, hey, let's talk about, you know, in 2012 when, when you guys sucked. Right. So like, that's why, like, I, I have no interest in talking about in, in litigating why the Raiders sucked and why Dennis Allen sucked as head coach of the Raiders. Right. Like that's a whole another era with a different team with a different regime. We can talk about it and pretend that that entire organization was a dream and it was only Dennis Allen who was, who was dragging it down. It was a, it, it wasn't very well run and the Raiders haven't been well run for a decade now. So we can kind of sit there and figure that out. But I do think that you, you look at it and you say, okay, can you make the changes necessary? That's where I'm not sure is, is the case, right? Like we can talk about it. And I said in the last episode, I don't think Dennis Allen should be the coach of this team. Like, People seem to think that I'm sitting here carrying water. I'm just explaining to you why they say what they say. Um, but, you know, you you can look at it and say, 
okay, you're nine and eight this year. Can you move forward? Can you improve from that? And if you can't, like that's where we're at right now. It's it's a it's a it's a pass fail class. I think I've said that before, but it's it's very much true this year. I think you got just above the line you needed to get at this year to stick around, and you're going to go with that. Now, you know, one interesting thing from Mickey in this in this press conference, and it was notable. Like it's not you, we can make it up. We can pretend that it doesn't mean anything. Uh, we, we can ask whether maybe Mickey was on Dayquil or something because he was dealing with a cold. You know, the I joked about the gum chewing. He did say that the reason he was chewing gum was because he had a cough and the gum was helping him from hacking into the microphone. And he did cough several times, like he wasn't making that up. But you know, it, there was energy in that in that press conference, and I do think like you look at, and I don't think the you know he he talked about Sean Payton, and I think that's a miss. I do not think that we need to compare the beginning of Dennis Allen's career with the beginning of Sean Payton's career. But I do think you can look at it and draw some parallels to 20, what, 2014 through 2016, the seven and nine years, where I think you saw some things being ironed out that didn't exist before. Like there were wrinkles that came up that weren't fixed in time to salvage those seasons. But there were kind of come to Jesus moments and you figured that out. And I do think that's kind of the approach that Mickey is taking this off season is you're you've allowed things to kind of fester and not be what they need to be. And that's what you're trying to fix. And I do think that in a lot of Mickey's comments, and we're not going to get into all of them. You know, he talked about Trevor Penning. He talked about Cody Burns and the, those coaches departing. And, but I do think like the, the, the crux of what he was, the, the message that he was conveying in this press conference. And again, there's a lot of it is you're getting back to the basics. You're, you're you're getting back to the things that made this franchise successful, and if you can do that, and you can and you can find ways to be productive in that in that vein, then you know, great, cool. If you can't, then I think we're back here next year talking about a head coaching search instead of an offensive coordinator search. But here is uh here's what Mickey had to say on the on the culture changes. You know, he talked about meeting with the team individually. Um, you know, he talked about why he won't tell us exactly what he said, but but this is what. This is what uh, all that uh, broke down to. I don't like the word culture necessarily because I think, look, we got really good guys, willing. Um, and I think, look, a lot of things that I said to the players, I'm sure you guys are aware of it, were for the players' ears only. Um, I think collectively, though, that everybody, you know, if you ask, do you want to win? Everybody stands up. They raise their hand, right? Everybody says, what, are you willing to do what's necessary to win? They all raise their hand. But sometimes we're not doing the things that are necessary to win. And that's on me. That's on me 100%. We've got to, I've got to hold our guys to a standard to do the things necessary to win. And I think that, I probably let that slip a little bit over the last few years. And so we're going we're gonna to get that recalibrated. And so that's my message to our entire building. It's not just to the players or just the coaches. It's to our entire building. Is some of that stuff like the extra homework to study and take care of the body? Like well, like there's a lot of things. And, and uh, I think I was pretty specific about what those things are, but that, that's really for their ears, not for your ears. Can I elaborate at all about how it's, it's on you if you don't deal with the players day to day? Well, look, I'm accountable for that. Um, you know, we have, we have a certain standard here, and, and, and look, some of it's out of our control. Um, you know, COVID, league rules, there's things that, that are out of our control, but that doesn't mean what we have to, that we can't have an, a, a standard that we, we set. And look, it starts with me, it does. And certainly, 
our, our uh, head coach and our coaching staff and all the people in the building are responsible for it, but it, it, it begins with me. Have you ever felt the need to have a meeting with the entire team at the end of the season like you did this year? Has it ever happened before? Um, I've had meetings with the team before. It's been a while. But I felt like there were some things that needed to be said to the players. Just like I think there's things that need to be said to the coaching staff and to our, our football operations staff, and that's going to be said, you know. Um, again, I think, I think maybe we've gotten a little too comfortable over the last few years, and so I want to make it uncomfortable. And, and so, yeah, I think that, that last part is important. And, you know, you can look at it and say it's all DA's fault, and, and, you, and it all comes back to the head coach, right? It all comes back to the head coach, and, and that's correct. That is how the approach should be. It always has to be that way. But I don't think things were happening this season for a majority of the time, for the amount of time you needed it to happen, in terms of people being accountable. <clears throat> Excuse me, I should be chewing gum. And people being accountable, people doing the work they needed to do. And I think that's when, when Mickey kind of goes to the team and, and talks to them that way. That's the message. That's the message. Either you're going to do the work or you're gone, right? Either you're going to be on – either you're 100% in or you're 100% out. And that's why uh, last episode when I talked about Mike Thomas and how I think it's time for the team to move on from Mike Thomas, that's kind of what I look at. I mean, like, yes, this is an incredibly talented player, but I'm not convinced that he's on, he's in, he's on board with the program. And like it or not, this is the program right now for at least one more year. Um, and so the question is, can you get to a situation where – it's it's acceptable. You know what I've talked to, I've heard people say, oh, the strength of schedule next year is going to be so crazy that they're going to have five wins. And I hate to break it to you, but the strength of schedule and strength of schedule for the Saints in 2024 is number 32 in the NFL based on this year's records. And that's what the strength of schedule is. It is this year's records projected to next season. Why is that? You're still playing in the NFC South. For this, it's the same reason the strength of schedule this year was easy, because it's the NFC South. Right. So that's not going to change. You could talk about Bill Belichick going to Atlanta. Count me among the people that does not think that Bill Belichick is still a guy that worries me in terms of understanding the NFL and, and being able to succeed in, in the modern era of football. Right. So, like, I'm not that worried. Maybe two years down the road, if he can build that, that culture the way he needs it, they still don't have a quarterback. You know, like the Bucs are going to have to pay Baker Mayfield. That's going to be funny to watch. So, I, I guess I'm just not worried about it. Like, you have to come back next year and be better and finish the season the way you or start the season the way you finished this season, right? And you could get halfway through the season and fire the head coach, but on the road to there, you got to fix these issues and you got to get the young players to buy in, right? And you've got to have the veterans be the leaders. Um, and for for whatever reason, that just was not always the case this year. Um, and so you know that my my. My takeaways from Mickey Loomis's press conference are a that you know he sees that this is an issue, but he he's putting it on himself, and I'm interested to see how that resonates. I also think there's a commitment to patience in this organization, and we're going to talk about that more in the offensive coordinator segment. That is kind of unusual in today's NFL. I saw at least one comment saying, "Well, you know, why why are we comparing DA to these coaches in the old era cuz coaches in the modern era seem to figure things out a lot more quickly and I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I just think coaches in today's NFL have a much shorter leash and the expectations are to win right away and you do not get time to build that situation in a way that you need to. 
Um, so, I, and I don't think that's necessarily the right thing either. So, you know, I, I, I I'm not sold that this is going to get fixed. I'm really not. I'm not sold that that Pete Carmichael was the biggest problem. Uh, and and we'll hear more about that in the next segment. But I am interested to see how they navigate this and how they adjust this roster, right? Can you nail the draft like you did in 2017? Because that was the biggest, I think that was the biggest driving force to the change. It was not only a kind of a rededication to the to the to the fundamental beliefs that kind of made this team successful in the first place. It was also nailing that draft. <laughs> right? It was finding what four immediate contributors and other and like, several other players who've developed over time and were contributors down the road, right? Like I you need to see that again. You need to see that level of 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 draft accessibility or you know taking advantage of the draft, right? And I think you saw a bit of that this year. I think you saw a couple really nice picks this year in terms of I, I really like Jordan Howden. I really like Brian Brzee. You know, I think there are pieces like Kendra Miller. I actually as, as annoyed as people are that he missed a good chunk of the season, I actually think he played very well when he got the opportunity. So I wouldn't be surprised if you go into next season and he's your, I wouldn't say he's your lead back, but he is, you know, number two in that tandem. And the split is a lot closer to even than it was this year. And so that's, that's kind of where I am. And I think when you look at this roster, it's an older roster, but you do have kind of that core group of young players that you're building on. And and when Mickey says he's excited, I think that's where you're looking. You're looking at that young group, the Chris Olaves, the Rashid Shahids, right? The Kendra Millers, the A.T. Perrys, you know, uh, the the Paul Sanadibo, Alante Taylor, like these, these young players, Jordan Howden, these young players that can kind of take the torch and and rebuild. Because I think when, the, when this team got into trouble, it was trying to kind of bridge that gap of not rebuilding, but also also massaging older players into this situation um, where there not everyone was on an even playing field in the sense of what the expectations are. And that's never a good thing. And you can put that on the head coach. You can put that on the coordinators. You can put that on the position coaches. You can put it on the GM. You can do whatever. But one way or another, that has to be fixed. And clearly the belief in-house is that you fix that by fixing issues, not necessarily starting from scratch. Because, you know, in, in a lot of cases, starting from scratch just means you have the same problems again and you have to fix them again. Um, and so I, the approach is, you know, plug the holes and, and go from there. Jury's out on whether that's the right approach. I'm not telling you that's the right approach. I'm just telling you that's going to be the approach. But all right, this is Inside Black and Gold. I am Jeff Nock. We'll be coming back. I want to talk more about offensive coordinator. There's a couple names that have been reported as already being interviewed or being requested to be interviewed. So we'll dive into those. Who might some other candidates be? Will there be in-house candidates? That sort of thing. But I think at the end of the day, the biggest thing is be patient because the Saints are in, are in no rush, as annoying as that's going to be. But all right, this is Inside Black and Gold. We will be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak coming at you solo. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you don't follow us on YouTube already, make sure to hit that subscribe button, ring the bell, whatever whatever it is, however it works. I don't know. I'd have to look. But make sure to do that. Hit me up on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. Uh, let me know what you want to see. We're going to be coming at you with a lot of off-season pods. So there will be have to be a lot more... I don't know, kind of segments that we plan ahead. There's no, there isn't going to be a ton of news to react to in the offseason. So we're going to be doing mock drafts. We're going to be doing rankings, you know, free agency stuff. So if there's anything in particular you want us to answer, questions you want us to dive into, make sure to hit me up. Let me know. All suggestions are good suggestions. Um, this segment, we're going to be talking about the offensive coordinator. As everyone knows by now, Pete Carmichael was fired. He'd been in that role for 18 years, you know, and, that, and that's an emotional thing. So, you know, I, I, I understand why, you know, it wasn't 24 hours after the season. You're already firing the guy. They took their time. They ended up taking a week effectively. And, and, and then obviously that move was made along with Cody Burns, Bob Bicknell, Joel Thomas is now going to be the Giants running backs coach. So that's four openings that the saints have to fill. And, you know, I, I think one one reason that I'm okay, like this team is going to be very methodical about their approach, right? They're going to interview, they're going to come up with a pool of candidates and they're going to uh, make the right decision or at least what they think is the right decision. And what I'll say is you can take as much time as you want. That decision at the end of the day, it has to be right. You know, like I don't care when it happens, but it has to be the right decision because in this situation, you have such little runway, to acclimate, right? Like typically if this was last year, you'd say, okay, first year offense coordinator or first year quarterback in the room. Like there's going to be some, some learning and this and that and whatever. And you can survive it as long as, as long as the results are, are palatable, which I think toward the end of the season really kind of made it that way. There was a lot of, a lot of sugar being poured on top of that, whatever you want to call it, uh, that gruel of a season. You don't have that this year. You know, whatever offensive coordinator you bring in is going to know that, you know, if things don't go well right away, it's going to get loud. And there's going to be a lot of criticism because you're attached to Dennis Allen because because that that's that's where you are. And so that makes things a little difficult, in my opinion. And that's why, I you know, Lance Moore was on WWL this week. And I, I really uh, I thought he made some really good points relative to Pete Carmichael and and this whole situation and. And Pete kind of falling on the sword here to some extent to 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 and being represented as kind of the the fix all of of this situation, even though, you know, I'm not sure that was necessarily the biggest issue. So here's what here's what Lance had to say. Uh, Lance, uh, look, you are part of one of the most uh, prolific offenses. And uh, when you do it well over a handful of seasons and uh, he was here 18 years. 
So I'm primarily looking at uh, you're a part of uh, an offense that if you're not the best, uh, you're top three or you're amongst the best. But when I look at Sean Payton and Drew Brees, what do you think that they think of Pete Carmichael and his contribution? I know we had that uh, that uh, the pickleball tournament, and Drew Brees is saying, hey, let me tell you, uh, Pete Carmichael knows what the hell he's doing. Just break that all down, and when you look at it, what you observe as being a, a, a part of that offense, that uh, how uh, Pete communicated with Sean Andrew. Well, I mean, look, it's, it's unfair of me to compare, you know, the, the great Saints offenses of the past to the current iteration. Um, we've, we had a top, let's just say, top five all-time. So we're already starting out with an advantage, right? Right. Like just, just, just right there, we, it's unfair. Um, but the group of them together, the trio of Sean, Pete, and Drew, was, I think, what elevated it to the next level. What, what made us really, really special is to have those three minds in, together in the same room creating chaos for defenses. I mean, that, that is, to me, one of the better groups that we've seen in a long time to work with one another to uh, uh, figure out the best ways to attack. Um, and, and so I do think it's very, very likely that Pete ends up some way or another on Sean's staff. Um, he's too talented. He's too good at X's and O's. Um, and like you and I have both said, it, it's hard calling plays. Not to say that he, he was terrible at it because, like I said, he, he was good at the end of the season. I mean, he got it figured out and dialed in. And, and sometimes it takes time. I mean, it wasn't like he had Drew Reeves at quarterback. He had to learn – Derek, he had to figure out what was going on with the offensive line and why we couldn't protect him. Um, because we saw once he got protection, he was pretty dang good. Right. <laughs> you know, and I, I, know, I know a lot of Saints fans don't want to hear that or a lot of Saints fans want to say he sucks. But if we can keep him protected and upright, we saw some of the damage that he could do, especially with the weapons that we have on the outside. So, again, I get it. I understand changes need to be made. Um, and, and maybe Pete is a little too introverted for the modern player. Maybe he's not boisterous enough or, or animated enough or have the type of energy and personality that is necessary to get in front of the room on a daily basis and demand excellence from all of the guys on that offense. Maybe he wasn't the right guy. Um, time will tell. But I'm hoping that if that is the issue that they saw – they bring somebody in who is exactly the epitome of that, somebody who can come in and demand the room and be a very, very vocal and emotional leader for that group that I feel like at times needed one. Um, you know, it's, it's, the jury is going to be out, and, and it's going to be very, very critical. I know the fans are going to be critical, but it's going to be a, a situation where all the former players are critical, especially the ones that played in this offense under Pete. And we're going to be having our eyes on them to figure out if the person that they bring in is going to be good enough or not. The jury's well, still out on that, but yeah. I, I just think it's it's not as simple as, hey, we fired the guy that, that whose whose fault it was for our shortcomings. I just I just don't agree that he's the sole reason that this team ended up nine and eight, missing the playoffs and not winning a division that was very very winnable. Yeah, and I, and I agree with Lance. 
100% there and on a lot of things. Um, you know, one thing that my biggest complaint about Pete, my biggest complaint, you know, and there's there was play calling issues. You didn't, didn't use play action enough. You needed to be better. You needed to be more creative, whatever. My biggest issue with Pete is I just don't see him as a, as a lead a leading man, right? I never saw him as a guy who could walk into that room and, and you know, like what somebody isn't doing the work, right? Guys aren't opening their tablets till late in the week. Who's who's holding them accountable, right? Is it going to be the offensive coordinator? Is it going to be Pete Carmichael? You think that guy's? I don't even know if he's ever yelled in his life. I can't imagine. I can't envision it. Um, and so, like to me, that's when you're trying to make a change. I need a I need a commanding personality. I need someone who's going to walk into that room and, like Lance said, demand excellence out of everybody and mean it first of all, and have people respect that demand. Um, and so I think that, that that more than anything else is what I look for in a new offensive coordinator. Now, you need guys who can check the other boxes too. But I think someone who can lead that group. Because as I've said, I've said this so many times, it's like I'm, I'm just banging a drum here, but the offensive coordinator on Dennis Allen's staff is going to be the head coach of the offense. It has to be the guy who leads that group. You know, we can put all the criticism we want. We can put all of the blame we want on Dennis Allen. At the end of the day, he is a defensive head coach. It has got to be the offensive coordinator who brings that group to water. You know, like you can you can say everything you want. It's got to be that guy. And that's where I think probably that's why you moved on from Pete. But I agree with Lance in the sense that it wasn't all him. There was a lot more going on than just Pete Carmichael not being good enough as offensive coordinator. And I hope for the Saints' sake that they don't fool themselves into thinking, well, we replaced Pete. Everything else is fine. I think some of the other moves, you know, moving on from Cody Burns, whatever else you do, indicates that they don't see that as the case. But that's why this hire is hugely important. It's more than just getting a new guy in, getting a guy who is an up-and-coming offensive coordinator. And we can talk about some of the names, right? One thing that's become clear is the Saints have a lot of interest in the Sean McVay tree, which is probably smart, right? Like, like you look at some of these offensive coordinators around the league and kind of how you come to them, how you get to the, the point where it's like, we want this guy as offensive coordinator. He's never done it before, but I want him as offensive coordinator. Why? Because I think he comes from a system of offense that you can win with. Like, look at the Texans and Bobby Slowick, right? Why is he the offensive coordinator? Well, he was kind of an understudy of Kyle Shanahan. He's also, you know, D'Amico Ryan's also came from the 49ers, so they had a pre-existing relationship. But that's why you end up with a guy like Bobby Slowick. Not because you, you, you know him from the 49ers, but because Kyle Shanahan's system of offense is so effective and so, so you know, appreciated around the NFL that you bring in a piece of that offense and say, well, I want our offense to look like that. Right. And so I think there's, you know, Sean Payton was an example. Like Joe Lombardi is an offensive coordinator. Why? Because he was an understudy of Sean Payton, right? Like he still was Sean in Denver. He hasn't been particularly successful as an offensive coordinator, but that's why. And so you look at some of the, the guys. So I think the three assistant coaches currently that the saints are looking at in terms of having asked for, permission to interview them. Dan, Dan, Dan pitchers, the Bengals quarterbacks coach, Zach Robinson is the Rams quarterbacks coach. He's also their pass game coordinator. And then Shane Waldron, who is the Seahawks offensive coordinator. Now, all three of these guys have ties to Sean McVay, right? So uh, the only one who doesn't really have a direct connection is Dan pitcher, but Zach Taylor 
was a Sean McVay guy. Zach Taylor, who is the coach of the Bengals, was the Rams quarterback's coach. And that, why do you end up as the head coach? Because the Bengals want to replicate the Sean McVay system of offense. So they go with the quarterback's coach who worked with Sean McVay. So, I mean, it's just kind of an extension of that. That's where that connection is. Uh, Zach Robinson is the Rams QB's coach and pass game coordinator. Obviously, there's a Sean McVay connection there. And then Shane Waldron, who is the Seahawks offensive coordinator, he did that job under Pete Carroll. The Seahawks moved on from Pete Carroll. So they're they're not blocking that move. So clearly they are ready to move on from Shane Waldron. But he was the Rams quarterback's coach prior to taking the job in Seattle. So I think that's where you look at it and you want to see more of that in your offense. And I and I and it makes sense because late in the year, one of the things that helped unlock this offense was the increased use of motion, increased use of play action, getting Derek Carr more comfortable, creating positive matchups in your favor so that you could attack downfield and having Derek Carr be able to hit them and identify them. Uh, that Having A.T. Perry obviously helped in that. Having Jawan Johnson be effective obviously helped in that. But I think that's kind of where you're looking at it. Now, there will be other candidates. You know, Mickey was asked specifically about John Gruden. He wouldn't go into it. He was asked specifically about whether you look at internal candidates and and how they could go about it. I expect Ronald Curry will be in this discussion. Um, I expect John Gruden will be in this discussion if his lawsuit peters out the way I prob- it, you probably would expect it to. Um, and I think he will. But I, I also I, I expect it to be an outside hire. I expect the Saints to look outside of the organization because I think you just need to jumpstart things. And I think you need some new blood in terms of offense that you haven't had. Right. Like one thing that drove me nuts is like you move on from Sean Payton. The idea, the idea that you were going to just replicate Sean Payton's offense is so was so short sighted, you know, and, and I, I understand why you thought you could do that with Pete. But clearly that, you know, you, you could have seen after year one that that wasn't going to work. And, you know, I think what saved Pete was the fact that Derek was on board with Pete. Um, and, and he was a big part of, of recruiting Derek to New Orleans. And so you can, whatever you want to say for that, I mean, I, I get it to that extent. But, you know, I, I just think this offense really needs to find a way to evolve. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to go back to the studs, right? You don't have to start from, from scratch, but I do need you to evolve with the times, with the new NFL, with some of the changes on defense that have limited some of these uh, passing concepts that, that would have worked five years ago, right? Like defenses are operating differently and offenses have to adjust. And the Saints, rather than finding ways to do that and get younger and get innovative, went with more of the same. And so I think this is kind of a, I don't want to say full-blown effort to do that, but it is a, at least on offense, it is a clear effort to do that. Um, The one other thing I'll talk about before we move on here, don't expect the Saints to rush to anything in this situation. Now, I've, I've told you this before. The Saints view, and I asked Mickey Loomis about this, and we'll, we'll hear that answer in a second. You know, the Saints view patience as their strength, right? The Saints view not overreacting, not, not making knee-jerk firings and knee-jerk decisions as a positive trait of this organization. You know, whether you believe that to be true is another story, but when you're trying to figure out you know, how quickly or slowly this team will go about this process. Uh, it's an important fact to know. And so, 
Here is what Mickey had to say on that front in terms of the offensive coordinator search uh, when he was asked yesterday. Derek Carr's, you know, whatever offense coordinator you go with, Derek's obviously got to be a big factor in that decision, right? Like, he's got to be able to work with that. Like, well, look, look when, when we make a hire, when Dennis makes a hire, certainly he's going to make the hire that'll be that'll work for him. But that's not, that'll be our assessment. That won't be, we're not going to ask him if he approve or see, right? Does that make sense? Would you guys do hire the OC? Will the OC have input on some of the openings, like maybe guys that he would want to bring with him? How, how does that come? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. If you do, and again, things that are out there, I know you can't talk about coaches, but John Gruden's name keeps popping up. How much of it has to be you know him as a person, but knowing the situation and what happened and how he feels about it, just from a news perspective, not yeah. talking about him here. Yeah, it's a fair question, but I, I, I don't really want to talk about any individual candidates for that role. Um, it, it's a fair question, but yeah, we'll answer that when, when we hire. How quickly do you expect that process to go? Is it, is it one where you would like to take a little bit more time doing it, or is it, I would think, another way to take yeah. a rapid approach? Yeah, I, I think, look, one of the mistakes that our league in general makes is, you know, we're in a rush and a race to hire people because we're afraid of, you know, someone else, you know, being us to the draw. I think that's a mistake. I think the most important thing is get the right guy in the right situation. Take your time. Make sure it's a thoughtful, planned decision. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go through the process and we're gonna uh, make the right hire. Uh, we're not gonna make the expedient hire. Follow up on the you know the length of time, the process, the evaluations. Uh, you know, just because it gets asked a lot, why does it take as long as it does? So you view kind of being intentional about all that as a strength of of this kind of institution yeah. of taking your time. Yeah, I, I just think that that um, you know any decision of this magnitude, it just has to be a thoughtful, well thought out process, right? And you have to, you know, look. There's an obvious group of candidates, right? But there's another group of candidates that might not be quite so obvious that we need to make sure that we take a look at. And um, we'll do that. Have you always been that deliberate, or is that something you learned? I'm pretty deliberate. I've always been deliberate. I think that was one of Sean's complaints about me occasionally is that I'm too deliberate and he's too impatient. So it was, good. It was a good match, right? That gum, man. <laughs> every time, every time uh, that gum drives me crazy. Um, but, yeah, so... You know, I think at the end of the day, I can't disagree with the with the notion that I think teams are a little too reactive in in the modern NFL. I really do. I think that in so many instances, you have to be able to be patient um, to have success long term. Now, you can argue that you've already decided that this is a failed regime and you can move on. But when you're trying to figure out why the Saints are doing what they're doing, that part of it is is super important. They view it as a as a strength of the organization in terms of you're not just making hires to be the first team to make a hire because you think, well, this guy's gonna get snaked out from under us and and blah, blah, blah. Right. And 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 so I understand it. All that being said, you know, he was asked if the offensive coordinator is gonna have some say in the hiring of some of these other these other uh, position coaches. And, you know, he said that we'll see what happens. I sure hope they would. Like that's that's my only problem with this is you have to look at it. And and one thing that Mickey said that I thought was interesting is, you know, in the past, this would be the defensive coordinator. You under, under with Sean Payton as the head coach, 
this process of hiring a defensive coordinator would become a much more drawn out process because that defensive coordinator has to kind of be the head coach of the defense. And that's why when it came down to it and you needed to hire a head coach, Dennis Allen's name rose up the list because he was in charge of half your team effectively. Now, obviously Sean was in charge of everything, but at the end of the day, the defense fell to DA and that's why that hire was important. And, you know, they've screwed it up before, right? They're, they're, you know, you got like Steve Spagnolo and, and Rob Ryan and all these failed defensive coordinators that just didn't get the job done. And you kind of move on and you say, okay, this is, this is the answer. Like we found the guy who can lead this defense and, you know, whether he can be the long-term head coach of the team, that's, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, but I understand that. All that said, I think that until you knock that domino down, you're not going to be able to make a lot of these decisions. I know people are asking Doug Marone, when is he going to, I think the quote was, when is he going to get his walking papers? Like, I don't know if the offensive coordinator and Doug Marone don't jive. I think that's it. I think that's when, right? Like, I think that's kind of where you're at, but I don't know how you can make those decisions until you have the offensive coordinator. Now you can come up with a list of candidates and interview and whatever. But I, I think that's going to be tough. And so I would like to see, you know, I don't I don't need to see a hire this week, right? Like the one thing that is obviously important to remember is the season's still going on. You know, there's there's you know, 25% of the NFL has a game to play this weekend. That's eight teams. You know, there are four games, that's eight teams. And these are eight generally well-run teams or at least well-run enough to be in the divisional round of the playoffs. So you would imagine that several of these teams have some interesting candidates on them that you're not really able to talk to right now, or at least not in any tangible way that you could make any determinations on. So in that sense, you know, I, I don't think that there is any rush because there's, there's going to be a lot that happens after this week, right? You know, once you get to the NFC championship game and the AFC championship game, that becomes a lot easier. And obviously the Super Bowl. But like, so I don't think that there's any rush to get things done this week. But I do think you have to start lining up interviews. You have to start having a pool of candidates. You have your A, your a pool, your B pool, and you mesh them together at some point. And I need that to happen. And I need there to be a clear vision of what this offense is going to do. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how, uh, I, you know, we got the senior bowl coming up. That's always a point in the offseason that I think the Saints target as we want to be ready to scout a lot of these players because these are players that we're probably going to draft because the saints love to draft senior bowl players. And I think you would want to have your offensive coordinator in maybe not in place, maybe not there at the senior bowl, but at least the idea of who it's going to be in place. So you can scout players with that in mind. So that's kind of my target is the end of the month. I would like to see a, a concrete answer as to the plan for this offense. Now that's and that's and that's later than I think a lot of people would be making it, but but we'll we'll find out. You know, it's it's funny. It's it's every year at the Senior Bowl. It seems like we get some like big news. I know last year that that's what the, like that was when Sean got traded was out at the scene, not at the Senior Bowl, but during the Senior Bowl because everyone's reacting to it in the stands. Um, I think two years ago, Brian Flores sued the NFL. That was the big news that came out. There's always something that comes out at the Senior Bowl. I don't know if it's something like getting everyone to these close proximity, maybe. Maybe greases the skids on some things, but we'll find out. Either way, you know, I think we we went through a couple a couple names. If I'm betting, I'm betting Mr. Outside Hire ends up being the guy, but we'll 
We'll find out. And let's wrap up that segment. Again, I'm Jeff Nowak, this is Inside Black and Gold. We're going to come back. We're going to do a quick mailbag. Again, this is Inside Black and Gold. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, everyone, for hanging out. And we'll be right back. Inside Black and Gold. This is the mailbag segment. I'm Jeff Nowak. Um, but the first thing I want to get to, and, and no one asked this, I was hoping someone would so I could play this clip without having to present it myself. But no one asked this. But so one rumor that circulated prior to Mickey talking was this idea that Kai Harley was going to get promoted to GM and Mickey would take a executive role of some kind. You know, and and the only reason that I thought, okay, you know, I hadn't heard it personally in, in terms of anyone confirming it to me, but the only reason I thought, okay, maybe this is something that might happen is because that's how the Pelicans operate, right? David Griffin is executive vice president of basketball operations and Tra- Trajan Langdon is the GM. But for all intents and purposes, anything that goes wrong with the Pelicans, no one's like, hey, Trajan, get over here. They're saying, hey, Griff, what the hell, right? So like, that's the only reason I thought maybe maybe there was some credence to it, even though it wasn't something that I had uh, sourced in any way. But, you know, it was, <laughs> it, it's, and, and it's funny because in a lot of instances, I think Mickey would be like, I don't pay attention to that stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. In this case, he was very ready to dunk <laughs> to dunk on this. Oh man! So I do want to, I do, um, I do want to play that for you really quick. So here, here's that. Office is staying the same as far as your position. Yeah, I saw a couple of things. That was just made up. Whatever. I saw. I know what you're referencing. Somebody just made that up. That's never been discussed or talked about. Now, am I slower? Yeah, I probably ran a four five when I was thirty, and I don't think I could run five flat right now. So I am slower, but yeah. You know, I've I've been asked that question. You get asked that when you get to a certain age, right? Whatever age that is. And I've said, look, I'm just going to wake up one morning and say this is the day. And it's not going to be tomorrow, but everything for the next 10 years is open. We'll see. I I just thought that was funny because, you know, again, normally just shoot. So I don't pay attention to social media, whatever. But it did kind of gain traction. um, And it's not happening. The uh, GM situation is not changing. And that means that, you know, Kai Harley, Jeff Ireland, both guys could potentially leave this offseason, right? Uh, Jeff Ireland is interviewing for the Chargers GM job. Kai Harley is interviewing for the Panthers GM job. Uh, as far as we know, those are the only two jobs those guys are interviewing, but who knows? It could be more. You know, if, if Kai Harley gets hired, you're looking at some comp picks uh, based on kind of the minority hiring initiative stuff that that goes on. We saw it happen with Terry Fontenot as well. So we kind of know how that all that whole situation works. Um, but you know, I, I do think it's interesting and, and I hear all the time, like, well, the saints front office is a dumpster fire and they don't know what they're doing. And, and it's a joke of an operation and blah, blah, blah. But then you see, you know, these guys, these pieces of the front office get interviewed and, and plucked away, right? Like Ryan Pace to the bears and Terry Fontenot to the Falcons. And so I, I do think it's interesting. Like clearly there is some respect around the league for how the saints operate. Um, but locally, I do hear a lot of criticism in terms of, you know, how they make all these terrible decisions. And, you know, I do think from over the last several years, there's a lot of criticism to be placed on the drafting specifically. Uh, and that's something that I, I am interested to see if maybe they make 
some adjustments. But let's get into the comments. 992 RAS says, Mickey took smack talking to a new level. I appreciate this. This is funny to me. Um, and yeah, the gum. I, I think Mickey's probably going to watch back some of those clips and be like, oh, gosh, what was I doing? Because, yeah, that's that's not something I have seen before. And it's something I hope to never see again. Because uh, that was just, that was, a, that, was a, that was a bit much. Chris P says, Halls works for a cough. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just think it, it was very strange. It was, I've also never heard of gum being a cough deterrent. So, so that's news to me that that's even a thing. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's all hope that, that the gum goes away for any future, uh, future press conferences. 982 RAS, he also says he thinks Mickey was trolling the media because to compare him to those coaches is crazy. And, you know, so, you know, we, we kind of get back into this a little bit, right? Because I think the, the reaction is going to be, I can't believe he's comparing, or comparing Dennis Allen to Tom Landry and Chuck Noll and Bill Belichick. And I don't think, you know, when you, when you hear Mickey talk, you need to understand that he's always coming at this from a front office perspective. He's not coming at this from a evaluation perspective of, I expect Dennis Allen to be Chuck Noll, Tom Landry, Bill Belichick. He's coming at this from he's comparing his own situation right now to the situation that these other front offices were in and whether they chose to be patient or to move on. Right. And so I think that's when when Mickey is writing down these records on a sheet and saying, I got them. This is it. This is the this is going to they're going to they're going to wish they never asked this question because I got them. I think that's kind of where he's where he's coming at it from. And I, I mean, I'm not, you know, that's just my interpretation. Because, um, but I, I'd like to think that Mickey doesn't sit there and 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 be like, it's, it's Bill Belichick in 20 years, baby. That's what uh, that's what Dennis Allen's gonna be. But hey, who knows? Who knows? Mickey's he's getting up there in age. We'll see. <laughs> but I do think it's interesting. Pammy Whammy, has Dennis Allen ever made it to the playoffs as a head coach? No, we we know this. You know, he obviously those three years in Oakland were were god awful, right? Um, you know, seven and 10 last year, nine and eight this year again. And, I, and I've said this, like, this is kind of the, you know, that you, you had that nine and eight season. I think that's, that was your opportunity to potentially, uh, do that. I think if you go nine and eight this season, you're done. You know, I, I think that's kind of where you're at is like, you need it to improve. And if it does great, if it doesn't, Hey, we gave you every opportunity to succeed and you move on. But no, he hasn't ever been to the playoffs. We know this, you know, they were close this year. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that this team is is where it needs to be, but, you know, there's a reality where, you know, Derek Carr doesn't get hurt in that Packers game. You win it, you're 10 and 6, 10 and 7. And, you know, instead of the Bucks, it's you in the playoffs facing the Eagles, right? And, you know, I don't think that Eagles team was beating anybody. And you're sitting there going into the divisional round of the playoffs talking about this is a playoff berth. I don't think the season, like, and, and that's the thing, is that would have been effectively the same season. One thing that happens differently and suddenly you're having a whole different conversation. And, and while like that can't be the end all be all of the, of the conversation, this idea that they're so far off also doesn't seem to be in reality. Right. You know, we can talk about the schedule and how easy it was and, and whatever everyone in the NFC South had an easy schedule. Right. Um, you know, one team went seven and 10, one team went nine and eight, one team went two and 15. Two teams went nine and eight, I guess I should say, but yeah, that's you're, you're, the NFC South is not getting better. <laughs> that's the thing. Like we can say, oh well, this this was their chance. This was their one chance. I do you really look around the NFC South and and see this this division with teams on the upswing? No, 
I, I don't. Now, you know, the, the Bucks are interesting. I'm interested to see how they operate. They're going to, you know, they bit the bullet on the cap space this year so they can be a little more proactive next year. How much do you spend on Baker? What kind of deal do you give Baker? Right. You know, their, their skill players are getting older. Like Devontae Davis is getting older. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, they're getting older. Right. So are you able to thread that needle or do you need to tear down a little bit and get some young playmakers in there? Obviously, Trey Palmer had a nice rookie season, um, but we'll see. But again, like that's that's the your, your top competition. Um, Falcons are going to be interesting. They don't have a quarterback and they're not really in position to go get one of the top ones. Now, if they if they do, then that changes the equation a little bit. But we all thought the same thing about Bryce Young last year, and we saw how that worked out. So, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not looking at this division and saying, man, they just they can't get it done. Uh, Jason Brown says all those other coaches inherited bad teams. Da inherited a really good roster. I assume you're talking about with the Saints. He inherited a, a, a solid roster, but one without a quarterback that you know you felt could get the job done. So, yeah, no, I mean, it, this these two years ha- can't be viewed as a as a massive success. Of course not. But he didn't inherit Drew Brees. He inherited Jameis, a quarterback that I don't think he ever had faith in. And I think we saw that play out. And yeah, this first year with Derek Carr was obviously not ideal either. Um, but, you know, he's not the first coach to, to walk into a situation and not have it be perfect. I think the problem with the Saints is you're never going to have that young quarterback developing if you don't go draft young quarterbacks. And so you're sitting at 14 this year and, you know, I've, I don't, I, I kind of look at this as uh, you know, and this isn't really the question, but we're going to get into this a lot more as the draft gets closer and closer. I'm kind of Jaden Daniels or bust in this draft. You know, I, like, I think right now everyone's, everyone's under the impression that the quarterbacks are going to go one, two, three. I think probably one, two is guaranteed. And, and I am interested to see how the, how the interest level around Jaden Daniels kind of ebbs and flows throughout this pre-draft process. Cause I think he's definitely a first round quarterback. I don't know if he's a top five quarterback. And so if I'm the saints and I'm looking at it and, and, and Jaden starts to fall down the board, I'm moving whatever I need to, to go get him. Now, what, where is that? Is that six? Is that eight moving up from 14 to, to six is a lot. You know, moving up from 14 to nine, like the, the Bears did it to get Justin Fields, right? He dropped to 10. The Bears traded up. They had to give up a future first round pick to to do that. You know, obviously the Bears are in a situation now where they have more assets than they know what to do with, but they did have to pay for it. Like they paid a premium to go get that. I think they went from 22 to 10 or something like that. The Giants ended up taking Kadarius Tony, who obviously did not work out for the Giants. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but, but I don't want to see. I don't think Penix is a guy you take at fourteen. I don't think uh, Bo Nix is a guy you take at fourteen, and you don't have a third round pick. So I, I, I don't know. Like I, I'd like to see them be aggressive in terms of the quarterback market. I just don't know how much you can be, but we'll we'll see, right? Like we'll see how Jaden looks at the combine, how how he does in these interviews, and I, I just think there is a chance that he falls down the board. Or maybe a Drake May, or maybe, you know, I don't think Caleb Williams is going anywhere, but I think one of those two in terms of Drake May, Jaden Daniels could potentially fall into an area the Saints could trade up in. But I don't think they're trading up to three. And I also don't think that Michael Penix makes sense at 14. Maybe you trade down and get Michael Penix, knowing that he's not your starter this year. I don't know. Uh, we've, we've seen the Saints not do that for so long. It's hard to even project it to even what it might look like. But maybe this is the year. Maybe it is. We'll see.
Robert Johnny says, I agree that the work wasn't being done. What I'm concerned about is if DA is the guy the team is going to listen to if they're planning on tightening things up. Yeah, that, it's a, that is a more than fair question. We'll see. You know, I, I do think you take some confidence out of the, the way things went at the end of the season, right? I do think that you fixed some of these problems and you were able to get on the right track. But, you know, the, do those problems come back? Do those cracks come back? You know, I think you you make some changes on the roster and you make some tweaks and and you're ideally, you're in an ideal world, you know, you end up with a group that is a little tighter knit and is going to get the job done, but it's tough to say. But I, I think that is, that's my big question, right? Is can DA lead this room? And if he can, great. If he can't, then you're looking for a new head coach in, in, in 12 months. Um, 992 RAS says, who do you want the Saints to get as the offensive coordinator? You know, it's, it's tough because I don't... <laughs> I could sit here and pretend that I know anything about Dan Pitcher and Shane Waldron. I don't. I don't know these guys. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll get to know them over the next week or so in terms of kind of researching how they operate. And I, I do think that bringing someone in who has called plays before and done it successfully is an attractive option. I don't think it's necessary, but I, I think the my issue with the idea of a first time offensive coordinator is what I said before, which is there's no wiggle room in terms of learning on the job. Like you got to be ready day one and this team needs you to be ready day one. And you got to be able to work with a veteran quarterback. This is not a rookie or second year guy that you're going to kind of, you're going to kind of mold with together. Like you need to be able to walk in and work with a veteran quarterback. So of the names on this list, Shane Waldron is probably the most attractive in terms of kind of, kind of, threading those needles. I don't think that John Gruden makes a ton of sense. Like he makes sense with Derek Carr, but I don't know if he makes sense as an offensive coordinator. Cause it's like, when's the last time, when was he an offensive coordinator last? Like that's a, that's a different job than what you are asking him to do. So I, I don't know. Like, I think there's a chance that John Gruden ends up on the staff in another role. Um, and isn't the offensive coordinator. But I, I don't know. Like that I, I what my my desire for this job will be someone with play calling experience in some capacity. And right now Shane Waldron is the guy that that I think makes sense. But you look at those Seahawks offenses with Geno Smith, and I think they kind of regressed this year. So I don't know. It's it's a tough question right now, but we'll see. I think when we get a more definitive you know, pool of candidates, I think it'll be easier to look at. But because right now it's like I you're just guessing at who they might consider, at, at what you're looking at. So, so right now, it's really tough to say. Let's look at some of these more questions and, uh, and see. Not, we're talking about the uh, build of the Falcons. 992 RIS says, yeah, if Bill goes to the Falcons, man, the Saints may be third fiddle. Uh, Jerry G. Poor says, I hope Bill don't become the next head coach of the Falcons. He's also asking if there are any gum trucks available. And yep. You know, I, I mean, you can count me among the skeptical of of Bill Belichick still having it. Like, I mean, I, I don't know why you would look at the slow erosion of everything the Patriots did well and say that's a coach who should be able to show up in Atlanta and immediately make this huge impact. You know, maybe maybe in a couple of years, but I think in order to really change the state, the you know, change the reality for Atlanta, it's got to happen on the offensive side of the ball, right? Like the defensive side of the ball 
was fine for them. Yeah, I think Ryan Nielsen did a did a did a did a good job. I mean, they had a turnaround on defense that was pretty impressive. It was the offense. It was the lack of a quarterback. And I don't think Bill Belichick's going to show up and change that. Now, if you could say, well, maybe they go out in free agency and find somebody. Maybe they trade for a quarterback. Maybe Russell Wilson ends up there. But there isn't a huge market of quarterbacks right now that that really gets you excited, right? Like maybe Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Maybe, uh, you know, maybe maybe Josh McDaniel signs on as Bill's offensive coordinator and you bring in Jimmy Garoppolo, but we all saw how great that went in Oakland or I'm sorry, in Las Vegas. So I, I don't know. Like I, I, I think Atlanta is going to be really excited and it's kind of hilarious that, you know, the guy who's responsible for their chief trauma in their lives is now like the guy that they're like, Oh my gosh, we're going to get bill. I guess he's not completely responsible for it. It'd be like if they got Tom Brady, but either way, you know, we'll see. I would be more concerned if they got Harbaugh to be completely honest, particularly because like, Harbaugh has a great relationship with some of these young young players coming out, um, and hey, has a much better idea of the college game and and who's who who who's for real and who's not and who's ready and who's not. So you know, like the, the, that would be the hire that made me more concerned is if they got Harbaugh than Bill. Because I mean, we've seen like again, what was the cause of the Patriots falling to pieces? He had everything. He he was in control of personnel. He had every piece that he needed. He had Robert Kraft willing to spend whatever. It was, you know, it, it, like they got shut out this year. They were terrible this year. He went and he, he had his hand-picked quarterback, right? Like that didn't go well for him. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I guess I just don't think that it's, you know, it's a splash hire and good for Atlanta, right? But I'm not super concerned about it, at least not this year. Um, but but we'll see. I kind of I think Bill's still coaching because he wants to get the head coach record for wins. I do, um, and and well, you know he'll have to prove me wrong. Nine ninety two Aria says Bill didn't like spending money. Well, I mean, he didn't like paying players on big contracts after their prime. That's different from Robert Kraft being willing to spend money, right? Like when when Mickey, you know, Mickey yesterday talked about how he thinks Gail Benson is the best owner in sports and. It's not because of her football acumen, which, you know, like, I don't know. I've never had a conversation with her about football, so I don't know how up to speed she is on some of these things. But to to be a good owner, you need to have an alignment and you need to be willing to give your staff and the coach and the team and the coaches and everything. They, they need all the support that they can get. Owners go wrong is when they, they try to get too involved and they don't allow the people they've empowered to make decisions to make decisions the whole David Tepper situation, right? Or the Jerry Jones situation where they suddenly need to be so involved in personnel decisions. And uh, like, that's, that's where ownership changes things. But Bill had every ability to do exactly what he wanted with that team. And that's why, you know, you you can look at it and say, did Tom, did Tom Brady make Bill Belichick? Because all the evidence would say, yeah. Like all the evidence. Like we talk about how Dennis Allen got off to a slow start and that's in his career, right? And and that's not that different from Bill Belichick with the Browns and even with the Patriots in year one. And you know what the difference was in in the rest of his career prior to this recent stretch of failures? Was Tom Brady being his quarterback? So I don't know. Unless Tom Brady comes out of retirement and goes to Atlanta, I'm not entirely concerned about it. 
504 hot boy. I think it makes a good point here. Mickey needs to be trying to snatch someone from the Texans offensive staff to fill some of these holes. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where you're, where you're looking, right? And that's the thing is, you know, if you are looking to pluck someone from the Texans or pluck someone from the 49ers or pluck someone from the Chiefs or whatever, they're playing right now, you know? And so I, I am interested to see if that, how that pool of candidates builds after this week. Um, you know, uh, the Texans might win. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I think I think if you're if you're looking at a model to to kind of look at and say what have the what, what have the, some teams done right that have kind of gotten out of this cycle of mediocrity and are on the upswing, that's a team I look at. And obviously, it'd be great if the Saints could draft number two overall and pick whatever quarterback they want, and then draft again at number twelve. That's not going to happen. So you can't do everything the same. But I do think that yeah, I mean these these staffs and these these approaches to the game. I, I think there are there are teams you want to model around, uh, you know, after and teams you don't. Mister O Universe says, "What do you think about QB Spencer Rattler from South Carolina?" Eh, you know, like I, if you're gonna go, you know, middle of the road kind of bargain bin quarterbacks, then you're just gonna stick with Jay Kaner, right? Like I, you drafted him in the fourth round, you're developing him. You know, I I don't think that you're gonna replace Jake with another young quarterback who. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of feel like is the same caliber because that's about where you would probably get him as the fourth round. I do think it's interesting because Spencer Rattler, I remember when he was at Oklahoma, he was like the, you know, everyone was talking about him. He was fantastic. And then all of a sudden, just stopped being that way. Um, so so we'll see. But you know, I, I don't necessarily think the Saints are going to be in the quarterback market outside of the first round. Maybe, maybe if you like Michael Penix and don't necessarily like him at 14 and he's still on the board at the end of the second round, maybe, I guess the middle of the second, I can't, can't recall what second round pick they have. It's the Broncos pick. You don't have a third round pick. And I think that kind of uh, fluctuates a little bit. You know, you're going to get some comp picks, but I don't think they're going to be third round comps. Um, So we'll have to see, but it's going to be interesting. Let's see. Let's get one more and, uh, and, uh, the Stackanova says John Gruden, John Gruden called plays as a head coach, even delegating game management duties to Rich Bisaccia, Rich Bisaccia, while the Raiders were on offense. No, I'm, I'm not saying John Gruden can't call plays. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, when has he been the offensive coordinator? When's the last time? Because I just think that's a different role in terms of what you're being asked to do. And, you know, I'd like you, you could you could make him the play call. I, I don't know. I just don't think that. It's the way you reintroduce John Gruden to the NFL. Let's put it that way, is having him be the offensive coordinator. But who knows? You know, like I, Mickey wouldn't talk about it. Um, if he was going to rule it out, he would have ruled it out. So, you know, take that for what it is. Um, I just, you know, I, I, I think that you, you invite a level of noise by hiring John Gruden that is, at a certain point, not helpful. So you gotta you gotta weigh that against what are you getting versus what are you what what is your ideal for for this? And you'll see. But you know, he's definitely in the conversation. Um and we'll have to see over the next few weeks. But yeah, I'm not saying he can't call plays. Of course he can call plays. I'm just not sure he's an offensive coordinator at heart. <laughs> you know, it's been a long time since he was asked to do something like be an offensive coordinator. Uh, Cause that's more, it's about more than just calling plays. 
<laughs> that's why, you know, I talk about Pete. I'm not necessarily talking about the play caller. We can criticize the play calling, but when I criticize Pete, I criticize how he leads that group more so, or how he led that group more so than things that happen on game days. Although like we can also criticize what happened on game days. Right. So, so we'll see, but I know, I know uh, there's a defense of John Gruden going on here, so we don't, we don't need to get too into it, but all right, let's, let's wrap up this episode of inside black and gold. Thanks everyone for listening to everyone for hanging out as always. I appreciate everyone who watches everyone who throws in a comment. It's always great. Always good stuff. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks everyone for putting up with my, with my gum chewing display and, uh, with with my constant playing of clips of more gum chewing, I know that that uh, is not ideal. You know, it's it's funny. Just before I go, yeah, yeah, I had a bunch of people text me about like, can you just spit the gum out? And I was like, I I was sitting maybe thirty feet away um, from Mickey, and I, like from that distance, just hearing him in a room, it didn't seem like that big a deal. But then I went back and it, like I was transcribing a lot of the quotes, and and I was watching the videos. And I was like, oh god, that's brutal. Um, but yeah, so we, we have bookended this podcast talking about gum chewing and I can think of no better way to wrap it up. So again, thanks everyone. I'm Jeff Nowak. Hit me up on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. Follow the latest news notes analysis at WWL.com and on the Odyssey app, whatever, subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review every get your podcast and we will be back next week. We'll have Steve Geller. I want to get into some, some mock drafts, some pre-draft stuff, talk about some prospects, talk about some folks who will be at the Senior Bowl that I want to get a closer look at because that's going to be on us before we know it. That sort of thing. So if there's anyone you want us to take a closer look at, let me know. Otherwise, who dat? Go Saints. Thanks, everyone. Peace.